Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you once again for allowing us to be here, for allowing us to serve you. And Lord, I have this privilege of breaking the bread of your word with your people. And the word is not just for others, it's for me as well, Father. And so once again, I do ask for open and receptive hearts to receive your work and your word. And I just pray that you would do uh, something great uh, through us and in us, Father. Help us to be more like Jesus and Help us, Lord, to leave this place better than when we came in. Help us to focus on you, uh, to put our undivided attention upon you, Father. And I pray for safety on the grounds. I I pray, Father, for a fresh filling of your spirit and that I would decrease and you increase. And I pray for the saints, Lord, who may be viewing online right now. I pray that you would, um, Lord, help them to sense your presence where where they are, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're going to cover uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, beginning at the 16th verse, and then we're going to go through chapter 14, verse 23. And the title for tonight's lesson or message is, Nothing Restrains the Lord. Nothing Restrains the Lord. And so in our previous study, we saw Jonathan being brave and He was being proactive in his attack of the Philistines who were in Geba at that time. And then the rest of the Philistines we saw in that narrative, along with their 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and a whole host of people from their group, they, they gathered to fight with Israel. And as a result, we saw King Saul's army decrease. It decreased from the 3,000 he chose to 600 because the people became afraid and they hid themselves. And some of them crossed over to the east side of the Jordan River to get away from their enemies, the Philistines, who seemed so strong and, and mighty and advanced. Now, during all of this, because you see something else going on in King Saul's life. And if you're not familiar with King Saul, once again, he's the first king of the nation of Israel. And so during all of this that I just shared with you in the quick review, we saw this king, King Saul, make a foolish decision by offering a burnt offering in the place named Gilgal. But what he was supposed to have done was wait for Samuel to come and offer the burnt offerings and make those sacrifices of peace offerings. But Saul was disobedient. He he stepped outside of his lane. He did a job that was not for him, but it, it was reserved for the priests. And so due to his, that is Saul's disobedience, as we've seen in the previous lesson earlier in chapter 13, due to that, Samuel, the man of God, told Saul that you're not going to have a dynasty. Your, your, your boys are not going to reign over Israel after you, and it's not going to keep going and going. That's not going to happen anymore. And this word that Samuel shared with him was from God. And so this was the word of God that Samuel shared with King Saul. So you're not going to have a dynasty now because of your disobedience, because you were out of place. And instead, you're going to be replaced by another man, a man after God's own heart. And that person is going to become the king of Israel. And that man is none other than King David, whom Lord willing, we'll get to as we progress in this study in 1 Samuel. But we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 16. And it says, Saul, Jonathan's son, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with them, they remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. 
But the Philistines, and again, these are their enemies, they encamped in Michmash. And then raiders or these raiding parties, they came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. They split up into three divisions or groups. And one company, it says, turned onto the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shual. And another company, in verse 18, turned to the road to Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. And so one of the Philistine military groups, as I summarize this, they, they ended up going northward, northward to Ophrah. The second group went west to Beth Horon, and the third group went east towards Zeboim. They seemed to have everything covered in regard to going up against God's chosen nation, the nation of Israel. And just like how they call themselves surrounding the Israelites, the Hebrews, the people of God, just like the Philistines did that, the enemy, our enemy, spiritual enemy, the devil, he has his army spread out and his army is working overtime trying to come against the people of God, the saints, also known as the church or the bride of Christ. But Pastor Darrell, how could the devil have folks spread out here and there and everywhere? Well, it tells us in Revelation uh, chapter 12, verse 4, and this is only the first part of that verse. And I believe this has already happened in the past. This portion happened in the past. It tells us that his tail, because uh, metaphorically here, it was speaking of Satan. If you read the context of Revelation 12, it was speaking of him as if he were a dragon. And, and it, you can imagine that it would describe his personality. And, and his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the stars here is a metaphor for or a symbolism for angels. And so God created, I don't know how many angels, but it tells us here that Satan or the devil, our adversary, he, he persuaded a third of God's angels to come on his side. And we don't know how many they are, but they're spread out throughout this earth. And they've been studying human beings for thousands of years, watching us and They've been looking at the people who have submitted their lives to Christ. They repented and said yes to Christ. I put my faith in you, Jesus. So those people, the enemy, the devil and his army has been fighting against. And just like I said, how how the Philistine military groups call themselves surrounding the people of God, Israel, we, we see the enemy trying to hit us from all different types of angles. You see, the devil cannot be everywhere at once. But he is the leader of these demons. And some say fallen angels. He's the leader of these evil spirits. And we'll check out Ephesians 6.12 before I get ahead of myself. But, but there in Ephesians 6.12 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities or rulers, against powers, or you could say authorities, against the rulers. Some translations say cosmic powers of the darkness of this age. We wrestle against, in other words, our true enemies are are those spiritual hosts or forces of wickedness in the heavenly or these supernatural places. And so we cannot see the enemy that we fight, but there is an enemy. And you've heard it many times. You heard it said many times that if you don't know that you are in spiritual warfare as a Christian, then the chances are you're not winning. Because this is what we sign up for when we say yes to Jesus. When we give our lives to him. And tell Jesus to have your way in us and through us. When we tell Jesus, I want you to be my personal Savior and Lord. When we say that to Jesus, we also say yes to spiritual warfare. And so we have spiritual enemies, whether we like it or not. And so what you see here in Ephesians 6.12 is that Paul is using different terms to 
uh, refer to our spiritual enemies. And so it appears that they are on many different levels and that they have different ranks in this demonic army. They're all part of this spiritual army. Speaking of the enemy, they are all members, in other words, of spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places or supernatural places. We can't see them, but they're there. The enemy, the devil, influences the world system. And so when you see even world leaders promoting demonic things, well, they're being inspired. They're being swayed by the wicked one. Oh, when you read the book of Daniel, you can even see a a glimpse of that. Because Daniel prayed, I believe it's in Daniel chapter 10. If I'm wrong, somebody correct me. But I believe it's in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel wanted more understanding of the vision that he was given. And as soon as he prayed, uh, an angel was released to give him the answer. But on his way to giving Daniel the answer, The angel told him that the prince of Persia came against him and Michael, the archangel, had to come and help him out. See, there's demons inspiring different nations, leaders, these world leaders, those who are not saved, especially. And so no wonder we have some of the crazy laws being proposed and some of the crazy sinful laws that have passed. But the good news is this is not our home. We're just pilgrims. We're just passing through and and the Lord has a better place for us. And so those words that we sang tonight in one of the songs, come Lord Jesus, come so significant. And I pray that is our heart. I, I pray that we will make that a part of our prayer. Like I said, not to force Jesus to come back, but it just shows where our heart is. We're focused on eternity. We're focused on the Lord. But Listen to this, while we're still here, we ought to do the job that God called us to do. While we're still here, we're to still witness, we're to still minister, we're to still love others, even, yes, our enemies. Picking up at verse 19, it says, now there was a blacksmith, there was, I'm sorry, there was no blacksmith or metal worker to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites will go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pim, which was about two-thirds of a shekel weight or about one-fourth of an ounce of silver. And so that was the charge for sharpening the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks or pitchforks and the axes and even to set the points for the golds, which were the cattle prods or the ox golds. And so it came about in verse 22 on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass or the crossing place of Michmash. And the Philistines went there for the purpose of guarding the pass. And so we we see here from these set of verses that the Hebrews had to go to their enemies, the Philistines, those who were were sort of... um, harassing them and bullying them. They had to go to them to get their farm equipment equipment sharpened because they're the ones who had the people who were skilled in metalwork. And this, of course, would allow the Philistines to control the weapons industry. Oh, and still stand on our spiritual enemy. If we, if we take what we talked about there and talk about our spiritual enemy, we come to understand that the spiritual enemy that we have, the devil and his demonic army, they will do whatever they can to, to make sure that the saints of God are not equipped. Now, we have no reason as saints, as the church, as the bride of Christ to not be equipped, but the enemy has certain strategies in place, just like how the Philistines had their strategy in place to keep the Israelites or the Hebrews not equipped for warfare. 
And so one of the things we see that Satan will do or, or the, these other demons would do, they would try to redirect our attention, for example, uh, to other issues, issues especially that cannot be solved by man-made ideas or, or let's fight for this cause, let's fight for that cause, let's march for this or for that. And, and we're trying to solve them with human philosophy or with man-made ways, man-made methods. And those ways are not going to work because those ways do not change the heart of man. Oh, those people, they need the gospel that we, we have what we need to share with the world to, to help things to get better. It is the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation, to save not just the Jews, but the Greeks. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter one, verse 16, that is, that is the tool that we should be using, but the enemy will try to redirect our attention to these issues by trying to use man-made methods. And you wonder why these things keep going on and on. Why there's these same arguments going on and on is because that doesn't change the heart of man. You see, when people receive the message about uh, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to change people's hearts. And so these so-called social, social issues that are here, the, the sin issues and sin struggles that are here on this earth, oh, they could be resolved. They can get better when you have different people with changed hearts, hearts that are sold out for God. But another strategy the enemy will use is, is that he'll even redirect our time away from the word of God. Why? So we will not be equipped. Oh, that is such an important strategy for the enemy. Because look at this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Look at what the Bible said. Look at what God says about the word. It says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It means as God breathe. In other words, God breathed out his word, his inspired word. He gave it to certain men that he set apart and they put his word to parchment. But it's his word. He breathed it out. All scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. And guess what? It is profitable. It is useful for doctrine. So you want to know where we get our teachings from. You want to know where we get our beliefs from. It should be from the scriptures that are breathed out by God, the God of the Bible. And the scriptures are also profitable for reproof. In other words, it shows us what is wrong in our lives. Just like an x-ray machine will show us if there's something broken in our bodies. But not the word of God. Not only does it show us what is broken in our bodies, just like an x-ray machine does. But the word of God shows us how to correct things in our lives, shows us what's broken in our lives and shows us how to correct things in our lives, what to do. But it's also good for instruction in righteousness, for right living. That what? That the man, that the woman of God may be complete, may be thoroughly, there's our word, equipped for every good work. See, the enemy want to keep people away from the word of God. Uh, so, so, so if you have that attitude, you, you have this urge to do other things, to put down the Bible, to, to not go to church, to not view the service, to, to turn away from Bible studies, anything to get away from the word of God. Oh, it's too hard. It's too boring. Oh, you're, we're playing right into the enemy's hand. You see, he wants to redirect us from the word of God, that which will equip us. He'll even redirect us from the church. And I'm talking about from the local church. And I'm not just talking about, oh, we want everybody to come here. Hey, if you, if you attend here, if this is your, your church home, your local church, we're so blessed to have you. And, and many of you know that. But any local church will, where God has placed you to learn, to be equipped, and to serve. Oh, the enemy would like to redirect us from that. And so that's how I know that, that some of these um, demands or the, these so-called um, things passed down by, by some government leaders that want to tell churches to not meet. That's how I know right away that is demonic. 
Oh, these are things that the enemy wanted to do anyway. And COVID, of course, just gave them an open door to do that. That's how I know it's demonic. How do you know, Darrell? Because in Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, to don't stop uh, coming together because we need to do it even more because the day is approaching. And so we need to do it even more, not less. Oh, and that's how I know it is demonic. Not because I have some special insight, because I'm getting this information from the word of God. And so put it, I put it to you like this to keep it simple. If God says to do something in his word, and the government or anybody else, even your own flesh, or the enemy whispering in your ears tells you to do something opposite, then that is not of God. Just to keep it simple, because God is not going to tell us to disobey himself. And so, yeah, he'll try to redirect us away from the local church. And, and this is where we are able to use our spiritual gifts. Just one of the locations, of course, we can use them out in public, especially if you have the gift of evangelism. But also, we come here to be equipped. And so I'm not saying that I know everything or Pastor Jim or any of the pastors know everything, but that, that's part of our job is to equip the saints according to the word of God. And so guess what? The enemy would redirect us from the church. And the more and more you're away from the church, the easier it is to not come back. And again, I'm not just talking about this local church because there's many biblical churches you can go to if that's where God called you. But I'm just sharing with you some examples of the enemy's tactics. And we're just using some examples from the text about the Philistines, how they had a strategy to make sure that the Israelites were not equipped for war. And I just wanted to share that spiritual insight with you because I believe that the Lord has placed that upon my heart to share with the people of God. But one thing I want you to notice as well is that only Saul and Jonathan, they had a sword or spear. So King Saul and his son, Jonathan, they're the ones who had the weapons. And that's fine and dandy, but the leaders shouldn't be the only ones with the weapons. The leaders shouldn't be the only ones with the Bible. The leaders should not be the only ones who know the word of God. Matter of fact, the saints of God, we, we all need to be able to share the simple message of the gospel. We all need to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us when people ask, hey, why are you a Christian? Why are you so hopeful? How come you have the same sickness that I have, but yet and still you have this message of hope? Yet and still you talk about Jesus. But we need to be able to give them a reason for the hope that is within them. Why do you trust the Bible, that, that, that book that you say tells you about this hope? Why do you trust in it? Well, the simple answer is because it's true. Oh, now that opens up a conversation. Well, Pastor Darrell or whatever your name is, fill in the blank. Why do you say that because it's true? And this is where you can break out the Christian apologetics and tell them why the Bible is trustworthy it's a book that has been put together by God over a span of 1,500 years by at least 40 different human writers where the author, of course, is God. But you have many of these different human writers. They don't even know each other. They had different backgrounds. And, and, and matter of fact, the Bible was written on at least three different continents over, like I said, 1,500 years span of time. Yet and still, you have one message that does not contradict itself. And then you have the prophecies. And then, as a matter of fact, you have Jesus himself, the, the, the one who was fully God and fully man. You have Jesus himself saying that the scriptures cannot be broken. You have Jesus himself quoting from the Old Testament, which proved that the Old Testament is indeed the word of God. So we should, we should all be able to answer those questions. And the Bible is not a, just a history book. It's not a science book. But when when it does touch on history, when it does touch on science, the Bible is accurate. Oh, we should be able to share those things. We should be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us. That's why I say it shouldn't just be Saul and the Jonathans or the pastors and the, the, the different ministry leaders who are equipped. Oh, no, we all should be. 
We all should be. But going over to the next chapter in verse four, in chapter 14, verse one, it says, now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor. He said to the young man, in other words, that we would call an armor bearer. He said, come, let us go over to the Philistines garrison. Let's go to the to the enemy's military post that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father, Saul. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. Remember, he died. Remember, Phinehas was one of Eli's um, sinful and, and evil priest sons. Remember, he died. But Ahitub was... Or Ahijah was a descendant of, of that Eli that we read about earlier in the studies in 1 Samuel. And so this Ahijah, he was wearing the ephod. He was wearing this priestly vest. But the people did not know that Jonathan was gone. And between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock or this steep slope, or you can call it a cliff. There was one on one side, and then there was another one on the other side. And the name of one of those cliffs was Bozes, which means glistening. And the name of the other one, Sine, which means thorny. And in verse 5 in, in chapter 14, it says, The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. And then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains or prevents the Lord from saving by many or by few. And, and so for now, I just want to focus on why Jonathan would, would mention that the Philistines were uncircumcised. uncircumcised. What, was, what was the purpose of mentioning that about the Philistines? You see, the purpose was it, it, the fact that they were not in a covenant relationship with God. You see, the circumcision of the flesh that, that the Israelites, that the Hebrews went through, the boys, of course, went through, it was an outward symbol of the fact that they were the covenant people of God, of Yahweh. And so it was pointing out that. It was pointing out the fact that the Philistines were not. These are not the covenant people of God. And so you can infer these people don't have the privilege that we have. They were pagans. But what was always more important to God was a circumcision of the heart. You see, when you, when you think about circumcision and the circumcision of the heart, you think about the, the fleshly one, the physical one, and I won't get into any details about that, but if you know about the physical one and the flesh being cut off and so forth, think about it spiritually. When, when we talk about our hearts being circumcised, which is done by the Holy Spirit, not some kind of metal instrument or whatever instrument they use. When you talk about being circumcised spiritually, the circumcision of the heart, it means that the fleshly part of our hearts are cut away so that our hearts are more sensitive to the things of God or those things that um, interest God, that God cares about. Now our hearts are more sensitive to that. Now we're able to love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves because the fleshly part, the insensitive part that, that does, ha- does not have any regard for God, that's been cut away. And, and that is only done by the spirit of God and that type of circumcision that defines who is truly a child of God. And so to continue in verse 7 in 1 Samuel 14, it says, So his armor bearer, remember, this is Jonathan's armor bearer, said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here, I'm with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say to us, Come up to us, then we will go up 
For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Because remember in, in chapter 13, a lot of them were hiding. They were afraid of the Philistines. And in verse 12, it says, then the men of the garrison of the Philistines, they called to Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they said, hey, come up to us and we will show you something. In fact, we're going to teach you a lesson. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, he says to his armor bearer, come up after me, follow me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. This is the sign that God is going to deliver them into the people of God, into their hands. And Jonathan, he climbed up the cliff. He climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. In other words, Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. As some translations say. In that first slaughter, it says, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. And the acre that is being um, talked about here is the amount of land a yoke of oxen could plow in a day. But, but look at what Jonathan and his armor bearer did, these exploits, this accomplishment. But one thing I want to point out and focus on here in these verses is that Jonathan and his armor bearer, they actually made a great team. And I know many of you think this as well, but to me, it is such a blessing to have other Christians who come alongside us and, and fight with us spiritually. That is, fight on our team in a spiritual way. And the Apostle Paul understood how important this was because, and I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, but in Romans 15, verse 30, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. To join in my struggle by praying. And do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. So the apostle Paul even knew the blessing of having other saints join him in, in his struggles. And it's a blessing for us as well to have other Christians to fight alongside of us. And then in verse 15, there was a trembling. There was this panic in the Philistine camp, in the field and among all the people and the garrison and the raiders. The raiding parties, they, they also trembled and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. And so you see that God made his presence known. And now the watchmen, as we continue of Saul, these watchmen in Gibeah of Benjamin, they looked and there was the Philistine multitude, this, this huge army, and they were melting away. They were retreating. They're running away and they went here and there. And then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer, you can call him like his assistant, they were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, the priest, this descendant of Eli, he said to him, bring the ark of God here. That is so he could inquire of the Lord. And it says, for at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. And now it happened. While Saul talked to the priest at the noise, that the panic, which was in the camp of the Philistines, it continued to increase. It got louder. And so Saul said to the priest, he said to Ahijah, okay, stop, withdraw your hands. Stop, stop seeking guidance from the Lord. Pull your hand back. And then Saul in verse 20, and all the people who were with him assembled, they got together and they went to battle. And indeed, every Philistine's man's sword was against his neighbor. And there was a very great confusion. They started killing each other, these Philistines. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with or who had defected to the Philistines before, it says they, they who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country. And it says that they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And in verse 22, likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in battle. And so I would say this, just like how these Israelites 
came out of hiding in the mountains of Ephraim. I would say just like how they came out of hiding, it's, it's time for Christians to come out of hiding and join in the battle. You've been redirected. You've been fooled by the enemy. Now it's time to come out of hiding and join the battle. We're in a spiritual fight against the real enemy, the devil and his army. And, and just like these Hebrews or Israelites who left their partnership with the Philistines because some had defected to them. So just like how they broke their partnership with the Philistines, and then even they joined the rest of the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan, I would say this for the Christians today, that it's time for the Christians of today to come out of their partnership, not with the Philistines, but to come out of their partnership with the world and join the right side of the battle, which is God's side. There is a true battle. Come out of hiding, Christians. Break those partnerships with the world, Christian, and get into the real battle using spiritual weapons for the, uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the scriptures tell us, but they are mighty in God and they pull down strongholds. In verse 23, it says, so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth. Avon. In other words, it can extend it beyond Beth Avon. And if we're talking about our spiritual walk and our, and our struggles with sin, our struggles with the sin nature, you can see this happening as well. Oh, the Lord, through the, whole, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, who indwells every single believer, gives us victory over one test, gives us victory over one temptation, gives us victory over a sin that we've struggled with since the days of our youth. And then we win that battle. We experience that victory. But the bad news is some of us become complacent because we don't realize that, yes, we won that battle over that sin or over that, or we were victorious in that test, but we don't realize that the battle has shifted, that there's some other areas that the enemy's going to try to attack and bring up. And so don't get complacent after a victory over one test or over one particular sin. Keep going, keep praying, keep watching, keep being sober, keep reading your scriptures, keep getting together for a Bible study, keep meditating on the word of God. Do not become complacent just because you've had a victory over your sin and over your flesh in one moment because the battle will shift to something else. And the enemy knows what he's doing. He's very sneaky. I told you, even in the temptation of Christ, when, when Christ defeated the devil using the word of God over those times of temptation, when he was tested, it said that the devil left him. But Luke's gospel says until an opportune time. And I'm going to tell you that even though you may defeat, you'll be victorious over a temptation that the enemy is going to come back in an opportune time. When he sees that he has a good opportunity, when he sees that your guard is down, when he sees that you are grieving, when he sees that you are physically tired, you've been overworking yourself. When he sees that you put that Bible down for a day and now you haven't done devotions on that day. You haven't done him a second day. He sees your guard down. Oh, and he's going to come back with that temptation for an opportune time. And I guarantee you the enemy doesn't like when we share this information, we are exposing him. But the word of God, God tells us this, do not be ignorant of his devices. So don't be ignorant saints. And I'm trying not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices. See in this study tonight, Jonathan is a person of interest, but not in the bad way. He's an interesting person. And from what we know about Jonathan so far, he's admirable, somebody to be admired. Because Jonathan, Saul's son, he is a go-getter. This young man is brave, and, and he was willing, as we see in the scriptures, to, to take a risk in faith. He, he trusted God. You see, he had a faith that the Lord is not restrained. The Lord cannot be held back. And what he wants to do, whether it's by many or by few. And thank God his armor bearer followed him and agreed with him in that. 
And when we read about the faith of Jonathan in this lesson, and we can see that verse in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, but when we read about that, when we read about Jonathan's mindset, that, that, that hey, let, let's go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised, because it may be that the, that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains him from, from saving by many or by few. And in their case, it was the few, just him and his armor bearer. I love that mindset. And I love what he said. Because God, this shows us, he makes up for any kind of deficiency in us. He makes up for any kind of deficiency that we see, that we may perceive as in our way to God doing something great through us. Or maybe for some people like Moses, it's a speech impediment. Maybe that is the deficiency. And maybe for some people, it is the amount of people or the number of people you have around you to do a certain thing for the Lord. Lord, it's not enough of us. Lord, I have a speech impediment like, like Moses. Or, or Lord, I'm too young, just like Jeremiah the prophet. Or I'm inexperienced. Maybe that is the deficiency you perceive about yourself or about that small group that you are with. Or maybe it's a small local church that you are part of. Lord, we're too small. It's not enough of us. We lack the experience. We, none of us have a college degree. None of us have gone to Bible college or seminary. Or, or maybe the deficiency in some of us that we perceive is that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And, and that is my example. I did not grow up in a Christian home. And, and yeah, there were some good examples in my life growing up, but I've seen many bad examples in my life as I grew up. And, and maybe that's a story for some of you. Maybe that's an example that you can use as a deficiency. But we should have that mindset of Jonathan, whether it's by many or a few, whether I can speak well or not. Maybe, maybe I'm old in years or young in years. Maybe I'm experienced or inexperienced. You know, God is going to do his thing. There's nothing that restrains him. Oh, I've seen some ministries here that started with a few ambassadors of hope, for example. Oh, it started with a couple people and it has grown and they've been a blessing to so many people over the years. Oh, that's a, that's a ministry that is a part of this local fellowship at Calvary Chapel of Queen Creek. But it, but, but it started with two, two men who were just inspired by what they heard and they brought it back here. Or maybe even the Spanish ministry that's a part of this local church. Or, or maybe the children's ministry, the, the women's ministry, the men's ministry. Many of these ministries and outreaches a part of this local fellowship have started with just a few. But, but they had that mindset of Jonathan that nothing restrains the Lord from saving or from doing something great by many or by few. Nothing restrains him. Nothing hinders him. And as Operation Christmas Child is coming up, which is an outreach here that, that I oversee. So I'm the drop-off leader at this particular location. And so we do have, um, you know, this season coming up, Operation Christmas Child, where we collect the shoeboxes and so forth. And that's coming up in November. And, and so what I'm going to share with you is, is pretty personal for me because I'm affiliated of course, with this particular outreach. And, and, and Operation Christmas Child, by the way, is a ministry project of Samaritan's Purse. But I found some information about its origins on Samaritan's Purse's website. And this goes along with this, with this point here, how God makes up for any kind of deficiency. Because from this excerpt, it's excerpt, it says, in the summer of 1993, Samaritan's Purse President Franklin Graham received a call from a man in England asking if he'd be willing to fill shoeboxes with gifts for children in war-torn Bosnia. So you're seeing the origins of this ministry project. So he received a call, 1993. Now, Franklin agreed. But he figured Christmas was months away, and he forgot about the promise until he received a call back around Thanksgiving asking about the gifts. And so Franklin Graham asked his friend, the late pastor, Ross Rhodes of Calvary Church of Charlotte, to see if he could help with the need. 
a Sunday shortly afterward, Pastor Rose demonstrated for his congregation how to fill a shoebox with simple gifts and encourage them to include a letter to the child as well. And within weeks, the church had 11,000 shoeboxes lining their hallways. And due to their generosity and additional gifts from Canada, Samaritan's Purse sent 28,000 shoebox gifts to children in the Balkans that Christmas. And through these gifts, we communicated to children and their families what the angel said to the shepherds about Jesus's birth. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, Luke 2, verse 10. And it says every year since, Samaritan's Purse had collected shoebox gifts filled with toys, school supplies, and hygiene items for children around the world. And it says since 1993, more than, get this, 188 million children in more than 170 countries and territories have received an Operation Christmas Child shoebox. The project delivers not only the joy of what, for many kids, is their first gift ever, but also gives them a tangible expression of God's love. And and so I'll just use that example so that you can see what, what God did and what he can do. Just with the few, because in that particular example with Samaritan person, Operation Christmas Child, he did this with a simple request. God did this with a forgotten promise from one man. And then, of course, with a pastor friend getting together, he did this thing, this great work that's still going on today. But I have a question tonight. And the question tonight is, is there something God has impressed upon your heart to do? Or have you presented with what looks like an impossible task? Lord, I, I hear you, Lord. I, I feel you impressing that upon me, Lord. But Lord, it seems so impossible. That's what many of you might be thinking. And, and do you feel after, have, after having that impression placed upon your heart, do you feel that you don't have what it takes Do you feel that you don't have enough help, that there's not enough resources, that I'm not well known enough? uh, And maybe you're just in that place where I don't have enough finances. But if you're mentally stuck on the deficiencies, if you're mentally stuck there, I want you to ask yourself and answer the following questions and we're going to be quick. Ask yourself, am I willing to partner with the Lord? Jonathan was willing. Jonathan in our lesson was willing to partner with him. He was willing to go over there to their garrison. So are you willing to partner with the Lord? Am I? We need to ask ourselves that question if we're mentally stuck right now on the deficiencies. On what we perceive as the impossible. But also we should ask ourselves, is it in the will of God? And that's what Jonathan did. He put out a test. If, if they come up here, oh, we're going to stay put. But if they tell us to come on, then we're going to go. It is God's will because that means he delivered our enemies into the hands of the Israelites. But we should ask ourselves that question as well. Is it in the will of God? And also, if you're mentally stuck on those deficiencies of what God has called you to do or of that task before you ask yourself this, do I have faith in God? Am I a Jonathan tonight? See, Jonathan had faith in God. The scriptures tell us in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently or sincerely seek him. And you see the Lord reward Jonathan in that armor bearer because he was a man of faith and that faith pleased God. And God did something mighty through him. You see, no one can limit God's power or ability as the worship team comes up. However, a person can close the door on God's work for them, in them, and through them because of what? Because of unbelief. Now, that can happen because of a person's unbelief. But remember, their unbelief doesn't limit God's power or ability. But in those cases that where God needs or he wants human participation of faith, in those cases, God can say, Okay, I'm going to choose not to work or act in that. 
because they're not partnering with me with their faith. Well, Pastor Darrell, do you have evidence? Yes, I do. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, when Jesus went back to Nazareth, his hometown, it says he did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Not that he couldn't, but he chose not to. Why? Because of their unbelief. You see, but a Jonathan and many of you who are in this room tonight, you have decided to partner with God through your faith. So, so are you focused? Are you mentally stuck on those deficiencies to that seemingly impossible task? Again, if you are, ask yourself, am I willing to partner with the Lord? Is it in the will of God? Do I have faith in God? And get this, when we put our, when we put our trust in God, we put our trust in the one who's bigger than our shortcomings. And I want to leave you with this, that if you, or I could say we, are a willing participant, and if we have faith in God, and if it's in the will of God, then you'll, and, or we'll, we all, will see God do the impossible through us. I'll read that again. If you are a willing participant Have faith in God, and if it's in the will of God, you'll see God do the impossible through you. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that there's nothing that restrains you. But help us, Father, to be in your will. Help us to discern your will. Stir our hearts to both will and to do for your good pleasure, as your word says in Philippians chapter 2. And also pray, Father, that you would increase our faith. You have given us no reason. You haven't given us a reason to not put our trust in you, but you've given us plenty of reasons to trust in you. Help us to do that. You are reliable. You are almighty. We praise you. Help us, Lord, to be that willing participant to say, send me, I'll go, to be that Jonathan. Help us, Lord, to to not focus on how big the problem is, how big the enemy is, but help us to remember the fact that there's nothing that restrains you from doing what you want to do. And Lord, as you do your thing, Lord, We pray that we will be those vessels whom you could do your work through. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.